So I was thinking about a horror world where it's not just that everyone is like you, but everyone is still the same types. What happens if everyone is the worst of their type? The threes are acting like nines and all of the fours are acting like twos. What would a world look like where everyone is, you know, one link counterclockwise around the wheel? You know what that world would look like, Chris? 2020. Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about the Enneagram. Specifically, we want to talk about our experience of the Enneagram in the light of all of the stressors and craziness of 2020. And joining me to discuss this, we have a massive panel of Two Cities team members. We have Amber Bowen, who is a PhD candidate in philosophy at the University of Aberdeen. How's it going, Amber? Going well, John. And would you tell us what your Enneagram type is? Yeah, I am a four-wing five. And we have Grace Ng, who is a PhD student in educational studies at Biola University. How's it going, Grace? It's good. And what's your Enneagram type? I'm a six. We have Josh Carroll, PhD from Aberdeen, who is Life Group's pastor at Fellowship Dallas. How's it going, Josh? What's up, John? And what's your, what's your type, Josh? I'm a seven with a wing eight. And we have Paloma Herrera, who is a PhD candidate in New Testament at the University of Aberdeen. How's it going, Paloma? Going great. And your, your type is? Seven with eight. And we have Reverend Daniel Parham, who is Assistant Director of Student Retention and Success at Biola University and Elder at Gospel Memorial Church of God in Christ. How's it going, Daniel? Going well, John. And what's your type? I am a three-wing two. And we have Chris Porter, a PhD from Ridley, who is a postdoc at Trinity College in Melbourne. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, doing good. Good, John. And what's your type? Uh, so I'm a three, uh, although it's a bit debated whether or not I'm a three or an eight at times. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then we have Brandon Hurlbert, who is a PhD candidate in Old Testament at Durham University. How's it going, Brandon? Going great, John. And what's your type? I am a one wing two. Nice. Okay. Well, that's everyone. So I am a seven wing six. And I think it's great to see a nice diversity here. Obviously, there's a bit of a kind of emphasis on Enneagram type seven. But uh, let's go ahead and, and, and begin this conversation. I'm interested to know how people have you know, experience sort of their, their type in the light of 2020. You know, one of the things I think that's interesting about the Enneagram relative to other personality tests is that it's not static, right? I mean, with Myers-Briggs, for example, I'm an ENFJ, but that doesn't tell me a ton about how I might experience stress or, or what I need to do to like experience personal formation and growth. And I love how the Enneagram kind of builds that into itself. And I personally have experienced, you know, the way in which sevens experience stress is that they move towards one. And I personally have experienced a lot of that. And I, I'd be curious to hear from you all what your experience of 2020 has been like. John, I'm also a seven. This is Josh. I'm also a seven. And 2020 started off for me with this cool experience of quarantine. Wow. Like, what is this new thing that I get to experience? And um, it was re unique. And I was kind of doing all the things, setting up my office, doing all, all, a lot of fun stuff, trying to figure out what quarantine was. So it was all about the experience. But then as time wore on, I started to just blah, like lose, you know, start to go bananas a little bit. And uh, I've noticed what I do is I sit in my back room right now in quarantine as a seven. And then I walk out of my back room and I start just micromanaging my entire family. And they don't appreciate it very much. So I'll be like, what are you doing? I get three teenage boys. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why aren't you doing this and that kind of thing? So I'm really turning into that one unhealthiness. Totally. totally. Because the seven's like so high powered at one point. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting how you framed it in terms of a new experience. I think I, I think I can resonate with that on the front end of quarantine. That that's a very seven way of thinking about it. I, I think that, that that sounds very familiar. Type seven. I feel the quarantine has been 
extremely stressful because uh, I have in my day in, in my life I do so many things right like sleeping is such a waste of time <laughs> and so like now I have time and here in Scotland when we went to lockdown and we went in, in quarantine everybody followed it to the T there was no one in the street everything was closed the construction construction next to me stopped and I missed the hummers right? <laughs> right like I can hear the birds but yeah great but there isn't there are not people and and so I remember like it was about three weeks after the quarantine started that a couple walked past my window and I went hello how's it going <laughs> you know, how are you how's quarantine treating you right and I just make a new friend just talk to someone because I miss people and I miss having this different experience. And the way I have experiences is experiencing life with people. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, for me, it was very stressful. So I decided to do several things. And during quarantine, I picked up a lot of hobbies, per mm-hmm. se. Right? Because like, I just couldn't have more experiences. So I'm, then I'm going to create them. Because otherwise, I'm going to go nuts. Mm-hmm. I picked up and one that is thick is like I make pies, I make uh, the curved pies and it takes me about three or five hours to decorate the crust of a pie and it turns out beautiful and, mm. and that distresses me if I can spend time on the experience of the hobby that I like mm. then all is well in the world uh, and it's not really hard to find somebody that will eat it so <laughs> So now all of my friends get a pie every now and once in a while because I just need to create and I just need to like have that experience. Have the experience of like walking into your house because now I have a good excuse to get out of my house and walk. Mm. So I buy for you. I'll take a pie if you can ship one to Australia. <laughs> Probably doesn't help with um with walking into my house, so unfortunately. <laughs> no, but it does help walking towards uh the post office, right? <laughs> for me it's been very depriving, but it's also been challenging in a way that, okay, now I have to figure out ways to satisfy that desire of mine to live like a, try to live a like a healthy life. This is Daniel. Um, I, I think when the pandemic first kind of hit, hit the, the country, um, at my job, we actually went remote about a week before uh, the state of California went through a full shelter in place. And I think my threeness was like, well, this is just a task that I have to dive into. And so I got my things and uh, just mentally prepared to be in this space for, I think, two months. Here we are you know, into our sixth month. Um, and I think what's, what's happened is that I've evolved from kind of wanting to complete these tasks in this unprecedented time to kind of leaning into the kind of the nine stressor where I feel like there are days where I just want to lay on my couch and, and not, and not envision that we're going through this uh, and then wake up the next day and hope that it's gone. Um, but the, the, the struggle between the two is that I have so much more work in this season because of the type of work I do at, at a university that's constantly pivoting itself um, that I have to kind of stay in my healthy threeness and keep moving forward and performing. Um, but the element that I think I've struggled with now is that I'm, I'm constantly trying to outperform myself because there's so much work that's there. And so I want to write off those tasks so quickly, um, but it feels like I, I just can't escape that in the moment. So it, it's, it's, it's like the devil's advocate of like, oh, I'm doing things, I'm accomplishing things, but I can't stop for a moment and rest in them or revel in them. And so because of that, I kind of just want to like hide away for a minute. And hopefully by the time I wake up, I only have one task to do and I can do that well. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that, Daniel. It's Chris here. Uh, we went into lockdown at roughly the same time as you guys did in California. And that was just this moment of um, going from, uh, because I started a new job at the start of this year. So going from this sort of high of uh, having, having a, a new role and, and working my, my way into that and really uh, engaging with that in, in a really strong way to suddenly effectively being back in the, the work from home uh, 
and it's a research fellow role. So it's, it's doing research. So it's, it's pr- pretty similar to just doing a PhD again, um, especially when you're sitting at home, not interacting with anyone in a significant way. Uh, and I really resonate uh, certainly earlier in the year with that falling back into a nineness uh, in, in terms of stresses and just wanting, to, wanting this all to go away. Um, but it, I find it really interesting in, in my role because I'm, I'm in research. Uh, I've spent a lot of time just investing uh, in knowing all sorts of other bits and re- resurrecting bits from my past about uh, epidemiology and, and genetics and biology and, and how, how viruses work and how to model viruses and things like this. Um, that they've all just come back to the fore, and it's uh, it's really work, leaning into that as well as a, as the um, the ability to be able to to use that as a as a stress relief uh, from the stress that that we found ourselves under in, in lockdown. Um, it's Brandon here. Um, yeah, as a one, I've found COVID and the lockdown uh, infuriating. Uh, mainly because it seems like, at least being here in England, like most people seem to kind of treat it with some seriousness. But watching America from across the pond, it's just been really frustrating to see so many, uh, it appears so many people kind of take, not take it seriously enough. And so as a one whose, you know, kind of basic desire is to be good and right and is concerned with, yeah, being right, but also like justice kind of stuff, not to say that other types aren't concerned with that. Um, it's been really frustrating because I just look out at my newsfeed and I just, just get angry. <laughs> and so, um, and like that, obviously there's some good things about that. Other times it can be just really frustrating to feel angry all the time at other things. And so, but even like a really uh, easy example, so maybe not just, you know, taking it to my local kind of grocery store. Uh, we, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, long, uh, long lines to get in. And, you know, it was a one-way system, you know, through the whole store. Uh, and so if, you, you know, you passed an aisle, you needed to go down, you're like, oh, I have to like, kind of loop around. And I would get so frustrated when someone would walk the wrong way down the aisle. And it's like, obviously, they probably didn't mean to. They didn't see it. I don't know. But I, in my heart, I was just like, this infuriates me, this injustice that is happening. Don't they know that, like, they're putting everyone's lives at risk, you know, all these things, yeah. which, you know, and my, my wife, who's, who's a nine is probably just like, Oh, you know, it's probably our fault. We're probably walking the, the wrong way here, you know, <laughs> like, and so it, it's just this really, you know, it's like a simple thing that doesn't, well, it does matter, but not matter in, in the way I was experiencing it. But man, this whole, the whole, the whole thing has been really frustrating for me. So this is Grace. Um, I'm a six and I can relate to that frustration, Brandon. Um, Because for me as a six, I'm like, I'm all about safety. I want um, like everyone to follow the protocols for like everyone's safety as well. So when someone isn't following the protocols, like if they're not wearing a mask or if they're not social distancing, um, I get really annoyed and I get really like paranoid as well because I'm already as a six, like high anxiety. And so going out and seeing someone like not wearing a mask, I, I get annoyed that they're putting other people in danger. Mm. Um, so yeah, for me, like I understand that frustration, um, plus coupled with that anxiety. Um, yeah, it's just hard going out in general for me. Mm. Yeah. And, and Grace, you probably experience like, because it, it, you're a six, the, the concern is more about safety. Whereas as a one, my concern is like, there are rules. It's clearly stated, walk mm-hmm. this way. You know, it's not that I don't care about safety, but it's, I'm more concerned about there's a right way to do something mm-hmm. that's about truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And as a seven, I'm breaking the rules on purpose. I was going to say, and as a three, I'm like, I want to know why I'm breaking the rules. And if I'm going to break the rules, I want to do it the best way I can. (laughs) And so in the middle of this pandemic, we've moved house, which has involved basically transgressing every single rule that we have because we're moving more than five kilometers away. But I know I'm doing it in the right way because I'm Mm. not going to see anyone else in the the process of moving house. We're doing it. It's very precise and we're going to get it done properly (laughs) the best way we can. 
I, I also moved house. I, I bought a condo um, and I moved not only during the pandemic, but also during the racial reckoning. It was it was the week of George Floyd's murder. And, you know, I really felt my um, I, I felt both that that was a very seven thing to do in hindsight. Right. I'm cooped up in my apartment all the time. It's like, oh, I got to find a new place to be in. If I'm going to be inside all the time, it's got I got to find a new place to be inside all the time. You know, so I, I in hindsight, it was like, oh, that's kind of a very seven thing to do. But then also I felt in the midst of the um, kind of turmoil down here in, in uptown Minneapolis, it, uh, I, I felt my oneness really kick in. So for example, just feeling like there's so much chaos outside, right? There's, there's boarded up windows, everything's tagged, there's busted windows, all this stuff. And I really felt myself kick into hyper gear with organizing my space, you know, with trying to put everything in its right spot. And all I cared about was, was everything being precise. I would like triple quadruple measure things before I'd put anything up on the wall. And, and as I reflected on that, I was, I was like, wow, this is my oneness really coming out. Like I, I want everything to be in order and right inside because it's not outside, you know? And uh, so I, I, I feel you on that, Chris, just the uh, moving house and how, how that's been an interesting experience. What's well, hilarious listening to you guys, because this is Amber and, um, in my foreness, I've been writing like songs of lament. <laughs> that, is, that is such a four thing to do. That is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, right as COVID hit, um, moved back to, uh, to where I'm from in North Carolina. And I'm so glad that I did. I had a little bit of um, a preview of what COVID was going to be like, just because of, um, because I used to live in Italy and I have a lot of close friends over there. And so it hit Italy very hard first. And just talking to my friends throughout the day, every day, I got a, a, a taste of what quarantine life was going to be like, or at least lockdown life was going to be like. And I just knew immediately the only way I'm going to survive that is if I am with my people. <laughs> um, mm. And so I, I moved back home. Um, and that has been actually just a saving grace is to be in the home with very stable relationships. Uh, it's been very grounding for me. One of the people in my home is actually a musician. Um, she's one of the worship leaders at my church and uh, she's a pianist. She writes um, melodies and um, I didn't even know I was a songwriter <laughs> until I'm writing, just doing work on my PhD in the other room and she starts playing melodies. And I start hearing words and that has actually, I think we've written like four or five songs <laughs> since the pandemic started. And um, that's something new that has come out, but it's been such a therapeutic thing for me um, because it really was a way for me to process and express um, everything from just prayer to grief, to trust, to hope, to um, loss and all of these different things. So that's been a, a very therapeutic activity for me. Other than that, I, I wouldn't say that I've actually acted like a four or as the description of the four in stress. And to be honest, there's really only maybe one time in my life where I feel like I presented something similar to that description. Um, I would say, aside from the, you know, songs of lament writing, <laughs> um, that I, I've almost acted more like my five wing in the sense that, um, I've kind of become a little bit more detached and kind of lost in my thoughts and lost a bit in my work, not in the way that a three would like, Oh, great. Schedule's cleared. I'm just going to finish my dissertation, you know, not so much like that, but just more of a, um, uh, yeah, just kind of detaching and getting lost in those sorts of things. Um, and that's probably where the, the lack of health has been is when I get interrupted from that or something comes up, um, like struggling to get back to it. Um, mm. So it's interesting that I, I've, in my state of disintegration, have actually gone more to the five in that mm. regard. So I'm wondering for other people who have wings, have you noticed that maybe your wing is what's presented itself more in this time of stress? I find it really interesting with my wing. I operate that way a lot with the job that I'm in, with as a pastor, as a life groups pastor, kind of being the advocate slash uh, 
person that's going to find justice and help people understand certain things. And so leaning into my wing during this time, it can, it can get mixed with unhealth too and, and mm. look, look very controlling. Mm. Right. So to, like, uh, if you look at an eight, one of the dangers in eight, even in health, is they're bulldozing over people because they're not paying attention to what's going on mm. because they're so focused on justice. Mm. And, uh, and I think as a seven, the more constrained I feel, the more I want to break out of that, the more I want to find places to be, to be that advocate, the more I want to just jump into something for that new experience. And so mm. when it gets mixed with seven and eight wing, for me, it's that wanting that experience and then also kind of like focusing in an area and then, and then going after it like a bulldozer sometimes. Mm. And all those show up in the unhealth part of one when you, you know, disintegrate back, back into ones. Yeah. But for me, it's all about the, it's, it's about the experience and then also not sit, not being able to sit in something and really sit with the pain and suffering mm-hmm. instead of looking for something, some other kind of advocacy to go for something to advocate for instead of focusing on what's going on in my own heart mm-hmm. and being silent and sitting and savoring the experience mm-hmm. that I'm in, even mm-hmm. though it sucks. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting how you connected the wing to the disintegration in terms of the, the eight sort, sort of influencing what that oneness can look like. Because I would say for me, being a seven uh, wing six, is that similarly sort of, you know, what, what that oneness looks like is refracted through the six where, where it's like um, that, that the emphasis on being right, like Brandon was saying, and everything's, everything being done the right way in this kind of, you know, sort of... Uh, kind of extreme sense because it's of course it's an unhealthy version of that is uh refracted through that six for me where it's this kind of c- cautious emphasis on what's right this very precautionary uh emphasis on on the right way uh, of doing things to, to just give a quick example so my my dad actually got covid in june he's recovered he's you know He's fine, no symptoms, everything. But when when he got COVID, I was basically orchestrating how my parents were to live their daily lives. I was like, okay, dad, you're going to stay in your room. You've got a bathroom in there. There's an exit to the back backyard and if you need anything mom's gonna drop it off for you out back and you know you go out and get it you know after mom's gone back inside and it's just like this like hyper cautious oneness where it's like this is how we're gonna make sure mom doesn't get COVID you know I can resonate with seven type A in this quarantine a lot of people have felt it differently a lot of my friends and their experiences and many in many ways because I have decided to do certain tasks in my life to get me through this. It was really hard for me to restrain myself uh, in telling other people what to do mm. with their lives, right? So if somebody says, like, I feel this or I think this, I was like, well, your solution obviously is this and this and that, right? And, and so it's not like it made me insensitive, but I made me perhaps too assertive or too straightforward and I didn't have the finesse that I usually do have mm. when doing things, right? And so and that's, in that way, I, I, I noticed that I was operating with a little bit more towards my, my wing eight and instead of like just enjoying people more towards given a schedule or, or goals or things that you are going to conquer today. Mm. Right. In some ways, uh, this is Daniel. In some ways I've seen my two come out uh, and I would say the most horrendous ways, but then also, and I guess the most helpful ways I had uh, one of my dear friends lost both his grandparents to COVID within a month of each other. Um, and wow. it was one of those moments where I got to serve in my ministerial capacity and eulogize both of them um, but there was this tension in that uh, this tension of like that this is not the way in which I would want to serve but I'm so thankful that I'm able to serve mm. um, and, and and in those spaces the tension of I actually can't serve in my fullest sense to to be with a grieving family and not be able to hug them you know not be able to to 
rub their shoulder or do the things that I would normally do um, was heartbreaking. And, and to see him not being able to be there, uh, you know, and to have to like, uh, you know, watch via, via a live stream um, for his grandmother. And then on the other side for his grandfather to actually be in person. And this is a friend I've known for a decade and not to be able to hug him. The tension in that is like my full service is not being given, um, but at least I have an opportunity to give. And so it's this, this complicated blessing of being able to operate in that, in that wing. One thing I've done too is, as my work has been uh, far more intense than it's ever been in my professional life, I, I know my tendency to want to please people and to get to the place of pleasing them in the way of taking on more tasks. Um, and I realize um, uh, what's been helpful is to have people around me that have limited my, um, um, the amount of tasks that I've had because they see it up close. Uh, it's, just, it's just helpful because I will probably just say yes to the point of burnout. Um, and then I wouldn't communicate that I'm burnt out <laughs> to people. And so uh, I'd probably be laying on my couch during my lunch and breaks <laughs> trying, to, trying to recuperate. Uh, and so I, I found myself actually in, in, in a sense, like having a healthy balance to that two wing, but also having a complicated balance to the two wings where I want to most fully operate in that. I can't do to the environment that we're in, but I'm thankful that I'm able to operate in some sense. And then the other way in which my community, I guess, and my, my colleagues help buffer the things that I probably would be prone to do because of my two and th- uh, my two wing tied into my three um, and overdoing things uh, for the sake of others and in a, in, in a sense of um, doing something good. Yeah, Daniel, uh, I really uh, resonate with that as a one wing two yeah, and, I'll, and also working uh, at a church doing more kind of like the admin side of things is I found that as COVID kind of started and locked down, like I just realized that there was just so many, so much more tasks to do. And I ended up being the person's like, well, I can help out with that. And I can help out with that. And I can do that. And I can help you do this. And like, and I realized that that was part of my, my uh, kind of to like, oh, I can, I can help because there's so much to help with. Um, and so in one sense, it was like, Oh great! Like I'm, I'm able to serve in this kind of really unique uh, season, but then I, I felt also kind of how you were feeling about if I don't say no every once in a while, I'm going to get really burnt out. And um, and it's been nice to uh, been able to take some vacations, um, some holidays, and that's like me leaning into my seven uh, in, in in a good sense, um, kind of a more healthy sense, and that's been really nice, but it's that it took a, a, a lot to be like, all right, I can take a holiday. Like it'll be okay if I don't respond to emails or if I don't, you know, uh, if I'm not there um, or I'm at, not at my desk on my computer, you know, uh, it'll be okay if I, if I don't show up to that thing. Yeah. I find it interesting as a, as a three, um, I don't, I don't generally operate with a wing, but um one of the things with threes is that we're often confused for eights. And I find often in my times of stress, in times of crisis, that I fall into being an eight. Uh, and that one of the things there is, uh, it's about protection from harm and being, being in control. And so during this COVID period, a lot of it's been about being in control of things uh, and not just being in control of myself, but being in control of uh, the situation, the, the environment that we're part of uh the people around i really resonate with the um the reflections uh from from others from paloma and others of, of just that sense of wanting to con- to, to really be in control of uh, of things as you walk down the street like my goodness why aren't you wearing a mask why aren't you doing this why aren't you social distancing um and just getting really frustrated with that and so i, I find it interesting that for me my direction of stress is actually towards the uh, corollary, which is so close to being a three, uh, but it's not quite in the same way. What really helped me, Chris, figure out, because a, a seven didn't exactly describe me either and nothing exactly describes anything. But if you look up some of the subtype stuff, uh, each type has, a, has three subtypes, right? And so some of the subtype stuff helped me figure out Oh yeah, that makes more sense for who I am. 
and helped me nail the fact that I was a seven rather than trying to figure out, well, I'm a seven, but not quite in this aspect. There's three different subtypes that are very different from each other. So it might be helpful for, to, to look at that for you. Uh, one of the things with, um, with the subtypes is that when, when I look through the subtypes and you, and you think about them, I'm very much a three. Like that is uh, how I, I work, but it's really under stress that I revert to being, uh, that I, I look more like an eight um, rather than the three that, uh, that I am. And, and this probably brings up another thing on how we actually use the Enneagram. Uh, and I find it interesting, in, especially in, in pastoral circles, just that how the Enneagram is used uh, not so much as a self-identification tool, but as a, uh, a boxing tool, uh, a tool to be able to categorize other people, right. to be able to, to classify them so that you, can, you, you know how they're going to operate in a certain circumstance. Yeah, there's always a danger in that. It's, uh, it's one of those like, hey, he's a seven, so he's going to obviously do this. And of course, as a seven, I don't like to be put in a box. I think it, I think it, a lot of that has to do with your, your core motivations, like what's coming out. So a six's core motivation is going to operate the way that you do out of fear, some kind of fear mixed into it. And that what you might be seeing as an eight might be different from, a, from the way the core motivation of eight works. And, and I think that's what the, the most interesting part of, of this is that it is very much a self-identification typing uh, rather than, say, the MBTI or uh, yeah. other forms of the Jungian archetypes, which are an attempt to be able to categorize others. This is really a self-categorization tool yep. uh, rather than a other categorization tool. And sometimes it takes a long time to get through that process. You can get past the, the layers so you can categorize yourself. So keep at it, man. It's good. We're like onions, man. We're like onions. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have noticed, I think, perhaps a, a special interest in the Enneagram among Christians. Um, that's not to say that the Enneagram is exclusively of interest to Christians, but I've noticed uh, perhaps a special interest. And um, I think there are some reasons for that. We might want to chat about them. But one thing that stands out to me that kind of gets to some of what we're just talking about right now is that. The, the Enneagram seems most interested in that kind of formational piece. And I think that um, fits so well with Christian interests in spiritual formation, personal transformation, you know, these sorts of things. I think the Enneagram really is a tool, like you said, Chris, that it, it's, it's about our kind of self-awareness, self-identification. It's not about othering or putting people in boxes and sort of predicting like, oh, of course you would do X, Y, or Z. Because in a particular circumstance, we might all act the same way, but there might be different motivations that are behind why we are acting in that way. Um, and I think it's important to kind of, um, yeah, recognize that this is really about that kind of uh, personal uh, tool-oriented approach rather than stuffing people in boxes because, of course, that's, uh, that's dangerous. So the degree to which people self-identify and claim, claim uh, you know, these dynamics of the Enneagram as part of their lived experience, that's where I think it's, it's helpful and fruitful to, to utilize and engage in conversation like this. You know, you have culture index, you have insights and discovery, you have Myers-Briggs, you have all these businessy type things or um, psychological studies that have been working in the past, but they measure behaviors. And so when you finally see something that says, here's a path to spiritual growth, I've, I've seen a lot of Christians take the Enneagram at such a shallow level that they treat it as a behavioral modification tool rather than a spiritual growth tool where you have to sit with it, where you have to struggle with the shadow self stuff, where you have to really dig in and then practice spiritual disciplines to actually posture yourself so the Holy Spirit can walk in and change you. I see it, like you're saying, John, as a fad that's gone through, but I've also seen it as a really good thing where people are really digging into it and sitting with it. But that's the dangerous, is treating it as just one of the, another, another cool thing with a Christian pin on. When I was um, going through ordination, that uh, we were all typed, and I were told, this is what your type is, and this is uh, who, you, who you are and how you work in a team and that there is no other option. And I found, found that profoundly 
not not confusing you so much because I come from a business world where this is normal, but uh, counterthetical to the way that we talk about growth and about the Christian life and how we change and the, the work of the spirit. And, uh, and I just found it amazing, even within an ordination process, where we're expecting that people are going to change, that we're still typing people in that way. To go along with like the positive aspects of using the Enneagram as a formational tool, like in um, Christian spiritual formation, I think for me, it's helpful to see um, like that basic need and how can God come in and meet that basic need. Just meditating on that, like for me as a six, like I often operate out of like fear or anxiety um, because of that basic need for safety and security. Um, And seeing how God can provide that safety and security, seeing him as my rock, um, I think that that's helpful for me to grow into um, like a nine. I think that's where a six usually goes to towards growth because as I meditate and um, understand the security that I have in Christ and in my identity in him, that, that allows me to have the freedom um, to just relax and actually be more open and warm to people so that I can be a peacemaker. And what's your wing, Grace? I'm actually not sure. Okay. So, yeah, I think I'm a wing five, so because I do get lost in like intellectual thinking mm-hmm. and can, yeah, stay there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's my wing. I was told once that you know you're a five if you find yourself falling it into that faraway place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you, you know, somebody has to like snap you out of it because you're just kind of lost in your thoughts mm-hmm. um, on a fairly regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but, then I'm a wing five. <laughs> yeah, you can, kind of, you can kind of spot them in that sense. <laughs> One of the things that I like to think about with the Enneagram, um, and I think this really helps in terms of um, not boxing us into it. Um, is to think about us in relationships to others and how that brings out certain things in us uh, and strengthens us in certain ways and how we give in certain ways. So, for example, there's someone in my house who's a three and he is just on it. Like he, he just, his checklist just goes all day long. And we have a, a collective house word count of how many words were written during the day. And he always keeps that word count really high. Um, and I found that that's really good for me just to have that sort of a running mate in that way. Uh, he kind of keeps me paced. And also Paloma and I were talking on our chat about what we do when we're at the beach. You know, when I'm at the beach, I'm going to want to sit down and look at the waves and just take in the beauty and the sights and the smells and just kind of revel in the the romance of the moment. <laughs> and uh, a seven is going to be organizing a game of volleyball. <laughs> and, and that's really good for someone like me because it kind of pulls me out of my moment <laughs> and, and gets me just doing something fun. And I noticed that that's really, that's a good thing for me. Sometimes I'm like, don't spoil my moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't be a romance killer. This is a really amazing moment. <laughs> But I, I have several friends who are sevens, and, and I see that as being a really good thing for me. Likewise, I have a friend who is a one, and we can kind of connect on different levels, but yet she's different from me too. So I've just benefited, even in my own formation and growth, from being in relationships to other people because it teaches me things and kind of grows me in certain areas that aren't as natural to me. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying too, Amber, is sevens need to hear that from people right that we don't always have to be the life of the party that we don't always have to organize the volleyball game all that kind of different stuff because i think like everybody once we type ourselves that can be a lens where we say well i must be this and that's dangerous so we need those relationships like grace was saying definitely that relational connection with god and having him step into that through the disciplines and, and figure out what's going on your heart and dealing with that kind of stuff and the relationships of our peers and the people around us so they can challenge us to think broader than who we are in our own boxes and even the boxes we put ourselves in. Yeah, and I think one of the big things is that they those areas that we need to grow 
are often identified in community. The thing with typing is that it's often done as an individual level. It's often done on your own and it's often processed on your own. Like how do I work as a three? How do I work under stress? How do I work in this? And I think a lot of the time when it's only when we see people working with others, when we see people interacting with others, when you interact with others ourselves, that we actually see the, the tangible ways that these things come out. Um, and it's often, I think, the, the best place to ask people about uh, how we operate our personalities is uh, not in a, our own personal individualistic echo chamber, uh, no matter how much we might want to we need others around us to be able to, uh, to do that. And, and by the way, John, we, we really do need you to organize Splire every year. None of the rest of us can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's definitely my sevenness for sure. It, 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 Splar, so just for some uh, clarification, Splar stands for the Society of Beer Lovers and Assorted Academic Research. And what it is, it's this craft beer reception that takes place every year as part of the Society of Biblical Literature and the American Academy of Religion conferences every November. Sadly, this year it's going to be uh, virtual because, of course, COVID, so we're not able to have our conference conferences. But certainly that is very much a seven thing for me, not, not only in organizing a party, because of course I want to do that as a seven, but also the idea of Splar is to try the variety that's on offer with craft beer. And so that's very much like my sevenness. Like I'm all about like multiplicities of, of something and just the vastness and the breadth and variety of things. So I have loads of bow ties. I have 30 different kinds of hot sauce in my fridge. I, you know, love the, the, the variety of craft beer. And so, yeah, that is very much my seven, like all day. Is, is Splar going to be on, uh, is it going to be virtual this year? Oh, it'll be virtual. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I think that's another thing for me as a, a, as a three. One of the things that threes often want is they want feedback for, for how things are going. And as a research oriented, person a lot of the time that we get re- feedback on our research is at these you know major conferences none of which are happening this year yeah, <laughs> and it's, yeah. i find it just infuriating because um and, and especially because a lot with zoom and with the international nature of the internet uh, a lot more of the um conferences are closed to early career researchers uh because presenting opportunities go to senior scholars who wouldn't wouldn't otherwise be able to attend uh, smaller colloquia, uh, but it is one of those things that as a as a three, that's kind of what we seek out. And so having a lot of those things off the off the cards is is a pretty big stressor in in the COVID environment. Yeah, I think especially for academics, having that kind of taken away from from us, there's different reasons why that's devastating. <laughs> you know, for you talking about needing feedback, for me, those conferences are opportunities for me to get inspired. And I run on inspiration. My fuel is inspiration and I will get sluggish um, or feel like I can't produce um, when I don't feel inspired. And so I'm actually very, very, very (laughs) non-competitive. It's it's not about competition for me. Um, It's really about being inspired and getting dialogue started. And so being in isolation and not even having that, that outlet of, um, you know, nerd camp, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, by which I feel like I'm refueled and I can run on that for the next year. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty devastating. Uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's the basic seven answer for me. It's all about fun. It's just a blast to be able to hang out with all these people who are interested in the same sorts of nerdy things that I am, you know, for a week and run around. And and then there's also the variety in there, too, because you have, you know, all kinds of different paper topics. I mean, you basically have like a phone book worth of papers that you could, you know, choose from. And so that variety is really what I lean into with conferences. For me, it's the same thing as Amber, and also the fun of it. But it's mostly in the inspiration, right? Like you, you go to a paper by John Barclay, or you go to a paper that of one of those dudes that you really admire, and and you go like, oh, one day I'll be like you. 
And <laughs> I, I map out the sketch of my life, how to be like John Barclay, right? And, and so that's inspiring. And that is, um, I run on that. I run, that, that is a lot of energy for the next time, for my next chapter, for my next article. And, and to me, that is fun to plan out my life in such a way that I want to accomplish that goal. And probably I'll change my plan tomorrow because I will find a new dream. But that's still, that is fun and inspiring. And then, yeah, hanging out with other people, like-minded people, and hear their thoughts and, and, and um, be with them. And whatever is that's a, the keynote or a paper presentation or the stuff that happens on the sides, or just go to the bookstore, right? Like with all your money and savings for an entire year, and you know you're going to spend it in all of those books, right? And, and so those, are, those things are fun. It's what makes conferences in life fun? And inspire you that, and you feel I'm in the right place. Finally, I I am where I belong, with other people that are just like me. Yay, Paloma, that is hilarious because I have the exact opposite reaction. If uh, when I go to conferences, I'm always like, I don't think I belong here. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm not supposed to be here? You know, and um, doing you know, I think it was uh, Chris. You said you you will want feedback as a one. If I'm giving a paper, I don't really want feedback. I want people to say that they agree with me, <laughs> that, they, that I, what I'm saying is true. So I guess it's feedback. But if they say that I'm wrong, then I'm like, this is awful. Because not only am I wrong, but I'm bad for being wrong as a, as a type one. Mm. And so conferences are, are scary. Fortunately, I've had good experiences at conferences. So that's, that's been a, a blessing. But I can imagine a situation where I have a bad experience at a conference and then I just feel terrible, uh, not because people disagreed with me, uh, but because by their disagreeing with me, I'm actually, uh, I've actually showed myself to be bad, not just wrong. Mm. Um, so I, I think now we're just talking about conferences, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, may, but maybe other people have experiences of, of not feeling like they belong at conferences or, or whatnot. Yeah, so as a six, I also don't like going to conferences uh, because of my own, but the motivation is different from a one. For me, it's like my own self-doubt and feeling like I don't belong or that I'm not like worthy to be there. So for me, I think having the support of people at conferences, um, especially when I'm presenting, I think has been so helpful. This is a great example of why all of the types are so important and to be in community is so important because. For example, if we were all a bunch of ones at a conference, or we were all a bunch of fives at a conference, or a bunch of eights, if you had a conference of ones, fives, and eights, oh my gosh, that would be quite explosive. Well, I mean, I think you need the ones, fives, and eights because it's important that you you make good arguments and that you take stances on things and that you present things in a very clear and structured way. It's a very important part <laughs> of academic. You also need the sevens to remind you that guys, if this isn't a party, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. If this okay. isn't fun. Like you're, t- you're going about this the entirely wrong way. You need the force to help remind you that there, it should be beautiful too. It shouldn't be dry as wood chips but let's inspire and let's bring true goodness and beauty together. Uh, you know, you need the threes to help get things done and have it run smoothly. Um, and you need the nines to smooth things over. I mean, you just, you, you need all these different people. And I think that we give something to each other that even just taking this one example of the academic conference, um, imagine how this is in other areas of life too, that, it, it is what makes it such a great thing and how we help each other be our best selves. Yeah, just to have uh, a community of people who actually like want to hear what I've studied and researched, um, I think is really affirming for me. So in some ways, like before I go, I'm really like fearful and I have a lot of anxiety. Um, but after I'm there and actually interact with people, I think that's when I actually feel um, more like safety and belonging. So yeah, it's kind of this like hesitant, but positive experience at conferences. Oh yeah, totally. I think, and I I think it's funny is that John has actually been that encourager for me personally, of just be, you know, the person that gets excited about basically whatever you say. And it's really great. (laughs) Thanks for that, John. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> totally. Even just like being on this podcast, I think I was really hesitant. I think, yeah, you remember the first time that I was on, John, um, yeah, I was like, yeah. uh, I don't know if I really want to do this, but you're asking me to do this, so I will. Um, <laughs> so thank you, John, for your encouragement. <laughs> we also just acknowledge that we that we launched this podcast basically the week before everyone in, went Seriously, into lockdown. <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, as a three and an ENFJ, this is uh, like the intersection of all things that I would desire to do. So I, I, I'm enjoying this a lot. Yeah, I think as a three and an ENTJ and living on the other side of the world, uh, this is a wonderful uh, outlet for, <laughs> for being cooped up at home and COVID. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and going back to uh, the points that have been made about doing the Enneagram and community and thinking about our types in relation to, to one another and how really, you know, we need all of the types to contribute to, you know, uh, a, a, the beautiful mosaic that is humanity. And I, I think, uh, you know, this has been really wonderful conversation. I think, of course, we could keep going on this. And I think there's a lot more to say and, and sort of juxtaposing the Enneagram with other topics. I think we, we have plenty that we could discuss. And in fact, I think we ought to uh, return to this for some more uh, conversation because I've, I've really enjoyed this. So I just want to say thank you to all, all of you for uh, joining this conversation and uh, reflecting on the Enneagram in 2020. Thanks, John. It's good fun. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. It's been yeah. awesome, John. Awesome, awesome experience. <laughs>